I acknowledge that I live, work, and play on the traditional and unceded territory of Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Coquitlam and Kakite. The lead single, Keep On Keeping On, held the number one position on the SmoothJazz.com global charts through the summer of 2019, making Brendan Rothwell the first independent artist to hit the number one simultaneously on all three SmoothJazz.com charts. Must have been good. Brendan, welcome to the Jazz Spotlight, my friend. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So it's all about the bass, huh? Uh, it's 99% all about the bass. I mean, the, the keyboards are a big part of my life, as you know, I think as well, for, you know, 51 years on the planet. But the bass is really where I'm at. It's where I'm more comfortable, and it's kind of where I've got to be known, I guess, as well. The trigger and driving force for your decision to play the bass was the 1986 album from Miles Davies featuring the great Marcus Miller. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, I'd, I guess I'd started to transition from the the young me learning classical music and piano and violin and singing in huge cathedrals to figuring out what else you could do with the same 12 notes, right? And so, because that's all it is. It's just how you put them together. And so I heard somebody played uh, the Tutu album for me and the, the title track specifically, and I mean, the Miles Davis sound, everybody knows, everybody loves, but it was the bass. I heard this thing going off and I figured out who it was and how he was doing it and how to do it, drop an E to a D and play Boom, my mind just went, and that was it from that day on. <laughs> wow, crazy. Uh, tell us about where'd you grow up and when did you get into music? How old were you? And, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. It's kind of a big thing. So I'll kind of keep it a little bit Cole's notes, I guess, and we'll dig in if needs be. Um, so I was born in, in York, UK, North Yorkshire, sort of northeast of the, of the island. And um, York's a very small and very old place. It was actually the Roman capital of that part of the world back in the days of the Romans. Um, so I grew up in York. I started playing music, uh, specifically the piano, when I was two years old. Um, music's kind of been my fan. I know, the right? At the same time you started to walk, you were playing piano? I think I was playing piano before I was actually capable of walking pretty well. But yeah, around the same time. Um, music certainly goes back in my family a couple of generations, if not more. And so um, piano is the thing. And I mean, to this day, it's still an important part of my writing arsenal, if not my performing arsenal, but that's where I started. And then when I was six years old, um, I was put forward to take part. Basically, it's an entrance exam process to get a place at a very prestigious school in New York called the Minster Song School. York Minster is the oldest cathedral, I think, in Europe still to this day. Um, it's a huge building. It's very, very famous building in the kind of world of churches. Um, and there was a school attached to it up until actually 2020. I think COVID saw the end of that because of funding. Mm -hmm. But I managed to get a place. So I was six years old. I had to be able to perform some sort of fairly basic academic tasks, like a little bit of reading and some math. But specifically, the goal was to prove my musical ability. So at six years old, I didn't know what was going on, but I won a place. And so I joined the following year and I sang in the Minster pretty much every day of every week for about the next four or five years. Wow. Um, as well as learning to violin, violin. So I was doing piano, violin and singing pretty much every day, playing in the sort of youth county orchestra, violin and it, it, beautiful. And of course, what it does is that it embeds the sound of these things in your brain. Whether you think you're musical or you know you're musical or you don't think you're musical, doesn't matter. We all have things that we remember from sound. Same as we all have things like 
good coffee. You remember the smell of good coffee, right? It's the same deal. So I kind of grew up with all this stuff. And then, as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, mid-teens, a lot of things changed me anyway in my life at that point. And one of them was how I started to hear music and more specifically how music started to impress me and make me question and make me think differently. And so the bass, I, I think I picked up the bass originally at, at sort of 15 when I was still at school. It was a really beat up old Fender copy bass that was covered in dust and no one ever played it. So of course I got to play it. I didn't do sport at school. I did music and, uh, I couldn't really get the technique right. This thing was old and beat up and the strings were all done and the action was like the, you know, this big. Um, but it did at least give me inspiration to say, here's a sound I can mess around with. Because I'd spent the rest of my life to that point playing violin, which is high frequency. I'd sound as a kid before, you know, I became a guy. And so my voice was high. I used to hit top C, which is for those of us listening and watching who understand the music, it's really high. Um, and piano, which of course has the low end, but also has the high end and all the harmonies in the middle. So I was used to this sort of mid-range, high-range music. And then bass, ironically, is where I ultimately landed. Um, and it's gone from there. I've played something on a bass pretty much every day since that time. And uh, that's 51 years of playing music in a nutshell for you. <laughs> and you mentioned your, your, your music in your family goes back generations. Your mom and dad, were they musically inclined as well? Yeah, so my, my mother um, was, and arguably still is, a, a concert pianist. She doesn't perform that much these days, but she still lives in the UK. Um, and so because of her, I guess, her learning as a child, and then as she developed and became an adult and then had kids, um, she was a full-time professional musician. And so it was, I guess, kind of second nature that her kids would at least be shown the piano keyboard and figure out if they could see where middle C actually lives and go from there. Um, so she taught me originally, and I think um, probably quite happily gave up on me as a teacher when I was about six, um, because I'd already started to figure out, I mean, if you listen to things like Bach, right? There's a lot of Bach music in the choral world and the organ music world. And I was hearing all this stuff. And so, you know, Bach is, like many of the classical composers, he wrote classical music, and that's where the name comes from. But it's still the same 12 notes. And so he was actually doing some stuff way back then, hundreds of years ago, that would be considered improvisational, if not jazz, is what we call it today. Um, so she kind of gave me off to somebody else to teach me for a while, and, and that's how that went through. Um, I have a sister who lives in the UK. She played cello um, professionally for quite a while. Still does play, uh, I think more so for fun these days, but is an extremely capable musician. And my father um, would uh, <laughs> would be 106 years old, I think I worked it out to be now. Uh, he was born a very long, long time ago, clearly, and was very old when I was born. But he was actually a musical um, publisher. He had his own company for a number of years in York in the UK. And so he was a publisher long before the internet came along and people would fax their orders or send their orders by snail mail. And then they would print this music on paper and they would send it out. And that was his business. So he was an accountant as well. So, so that was sort of his thing. You know, after he fought in World War II, it was that long ago, <laughs> he set up his business and, and it went from there. And then my, on my mother's side, her father 
um, it was Austin Rayner, who isn't really known about these days because it's so long ago. But if you Google him, he was actually, uh, among other things in music, he actually played the Wurlitzer organ uh, at the movie theaters. So they used to bring these things out of the ground, like out of the basement on some sort of platform. And he'd be playing away because it was still silent movie time back then. Um, so that was kind of his claim to fame. And I think there's a generation more one back that have music going as well. So there's a music theme and a business theme and a military theme uh, across both sides of my family. And uh, yeah. here I am. I've never shot a gun in anger and I play jazz. I don't know where that takes us. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, your first paid gig. Mm. Damn. Do I have to tell you how much I got paid? No. Okay. You can for fun. I can if I can think back. I think my first paid gig, I would have been, well, probably late 16 or early 17. And the band, I, I left school and the band I joined, it was actually a rock outfit, kind of post-punk rock outfit. We're talking, you know, mid 80s, right? right. And um, I'm trying to think, I can't actually remember how much we got paid, but it was in British pounds because it was in the UK. And the band was Changeling. Um, and you can actually find recordings from that band that we made way back when online. Now. There's a couple of things. Sure. That gig would have been in York for sure. But I know we played a couple of other prestigious venues at the time, including the Leeds Warehouse. So Leeds is a kind of another fairly big town in the north of England. And the warehouse was like the club to be at in the mid-80s. And I remember a lot of the gigs I did when I first started out, I was kind of snuck in the back door somewhat because I was way underage to be anywhere where there's, you know, alcohol being served and that, yeah. people doing grown up things. So um, I remember quite a few of those gigs and I do also briefly, I'll tell you this one. I remember I played uh, a great friend of mine, a lifelong friend of mine, a guy called Trevor King. He's a drummer in York to this day. Um, Trevor's now in, Oh, I think his seventies. Uh, brilliant player. But he got me really starting to think about not only playing jazz and listening to jazz, but how to show up for jazz. As in, how do you get to a gig? How early do you want to be? How do you want to look? How do you want to come across? And I played for several months with him, unpaid, actually. It was more about, you know, being mentored by a master um, at a working man's club, which is a very north of England thing. Basically, it's a social club. Um, and it's all very, very old school, very, very different world to how we live today. But I would go with him every Saturday for months on end for no pay to simply be able to walk on stage, be given some music, play bass behind, I don't know, somebody who thought he was Elvis or somebody that thought she was whoever, right? It was a great training for you, right? It was brilliant because I'd spent so many years as a really young kid having to read music in the biggest cathedral you can imagine and get it right first time. Like you don't get to get it wrong and do it again. This is live. And now I'm in front of another very different type of audience who've all got, you know, beer and wine and they don't really care, but they want to be there. And you still got to get it right. Otherwise Trevor would kick my behind on the way back. So <laughs> good way to learn. Your uh, debut album recording Time on My Hands and single This Is The Love put you on the music minds around the world. Tell us about what that experience was like for you. Uh, it was cool to do. I actually, I set out to make, um, well, I started recording music for what became that album about five or six years before I actually released it. Um, I've always, as well as being a musician, I've always tried to work in the real world of real work. Um, it's just how I am. And so I started messing with some tunes and putting some recordings together, which is always 
the process has always intrigued me anyway. I've loved messing with that stuff for many, many years. And then I thought, I'm going to do an album. Just let's, let's just do it, get it out there, right? And then it became actually a challenge to my wife to prove to my wife that I could actually finish a project is honestly where that all started. And so I put it together. I spent, I think, as much time on the credits and the sleeve notes and all that stuff because I'd never done an album of my own before as I did on the actual music side of it. And I was so proud. I got the thing back. I got the CDs arrived and it was all amazing to have done. And then a buddy of mine in the UK, Miles Gilderdale, who his, his band is Acoustic Alchemy, which of course is a huge name in the jazz world. I've known Miles since, oh, the early 80s. In fact, my mother taught Miles at music college is how we kind of got to know each other. Um, and so he heard the album and he said, you know, dude, this is actually pretty good. You should maybe think about pushing this track out as a single and seeing what happens. So we did. And the track that went out was This Is The Love, as you said. And I'd, I'd met through LinkedIn, actually, the drummer, Pooji Bell. And Pooji Bell played for Marcus Miller for like 10 or 12 years. And so I got to meet this guy online and sort of chat to him about music. And it was a dream for me. This is Marcus's drummer, right? And I said, hey, what would it take for me to get you on a track? He said, well, it would take probably a PayPal account and a Dropbox account. So we did it. And that's who plays drums on that track. Ironically, today, X years later, his kid is now doing really well. Winston is a sax player in his own right. And there's a little bit of mentoring going on there, my way to his. So it's all full circle. Um, so that's what happened with the album. And I, I love making it. And I love the process of it. And then Miles, as I say, picked up on it and said, you should do something. So we did. And so I approached a couple of the, the big players in the US market because Rightly or wrongly, that's where the big market audience is always going to be, just by numbers. And they went, dude, this is kind of not what we expected. Looking at you, it does, you don't sound like you look the way you sound. <laughs> What's going on? So I gave them the, the story and I said, you know, we could do something. So we did. And it was out there and people loved it. And I, the best part for me, honestly, is that people still play it on the radio today. I think that's Cool. <laughs> Fantastic story. And today's a special day for you. The latest single to be released from the Destiny album, correct? Absolutely right. Yeah, today is a special day. So I've been uh, sort of messing with with some ideas on on how to continue the promotion of, of this current album. And um, My Time was almost the first single I put out, but we, we didn't. We went with Tell Me, and I'm glad we did, and it did really well. My Time's always been a bit of a favorite. Because it, for me, it's kind of the ultimate blend, at least so far, of my bass playing and my keyboard playing, right? So, I mean, the track kicks in, it has this piano flourish. The melody for the first half of the track is, is led by the grand piano, and then the bass comes in and does its thing. So, it, I guess for me, it's a bit of a showcase of here's the sort of full picture of what I do. And, of course, the, the title is perfection right now because it's my time. So, I'm going to enjoy it. Let's hear it.
Brendan Rothwell is at our jazz spotlight today. Brendan, you also, in addition to composing and recording original music, you also host the Basement Jazz Show every Saturday at 6 p.m. on WorldwideJazzRadio.com. That must be inspiring for you. That, I tell you, is a ton of fun. I'd never done anything like that before. I have this, um, when I left the UK and I, I moved to Canada, um, I brought my voice with me. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's an accent, and it's something that actually hasn't really changed a great deal in almost 20 years of living here. So my T's have become a little softer. I can say water, not water, um, those kind of things. But, I mean, other than that, clearly I wasn't born in North America. And so it, it is cool to do because the, the station approached me, I think it was late 2020, as we were sort of working through the, the remnants of humanity after COVID had done its thing. And they said, hey, you know, we love your music, we love your playing. Would you be interested in hosting a show? And they'd never actually heard me speak. And so I think they were expecting a, an American or a Canadian or somebody from, you know, this big island that we call home. And so I got on a call with Langston, who runs the, the station, and I could just see his face, like, melt. When I started to talk, I said, I can do any accent you want. I can do impressions of whoever you want, but that's not me. You want me. This is how I am and how I sound. And so we started out, and I, I produce it all from here at home. I, I just put it together. It's not difficult these days. Technology is amazing. And um, I use it now, quite honestly, Ken. As a, it's a, a platform for me to showcase partly my own music. I don't inflict a lot of that on people for the hour of the show, but clearly I want to get something of mine in there. Right. But as my network of, of friends and, and co colleagues, I guess, in the sort of current jazz world has grown, it's a platform for me to showcase their music. And so that's worked out really well. You know, I've got people think musicians are supposed to be all uh, competitive and I'm better than it really isn't. I mean, life isn't about that I agree. fundamentally, right? So in music, when you get, I don't know, two bass players, I don't know, somebody called Brandon and somebody called Christian de Masones, and they actually get on like really well and we chat all the time on the on the phone. And then he brings a single out and I say, I'm going to throw it in. Of course, I'm going to do that. And I can put him up next to a Marcus Miller track and it's going to sound great. And so why wouldn't you do it? So yeah, 6 p.m. Pacific every Saturday, you can hear these tones making those tones. It's all you good. You got the pipes for it, buddy. You got the pipes. Thank you. <laughs> do you write full time? Do I write full time? Yeah, um, suppose right it, every day. Yeah, I think I think in my brain, the answer would be yes. So my brain is constantly thinking. Even now, there's a bass behind me. Every morning I come downstairs here, I grab a cup of fine coffee, and there's just a bass. It's not even plugged in. I just sit on a big chair with some sunlight, and I play either rudimentary stuff, some scales, some arpeggios, or there's something that suddenly pops into place and off we go there's a new melody right mm -hmm. so i think that's always happening um but equally as i mentioned earlier i've always worked you know a, a regular job as well whatever that may have been over the years and so i'm very fortunate that you know despite really not having any sort of academic prowess on paper as such i did actually get some great education through those years and i got even more wonderful education from people that i've met through music over the next 10 20 30 years um, and now I have this network of people that they're either mentors to me in some capacity or level, or they're simply great people who make great music and we get on great. And I'm, it's a pretty cool balance right now. Yeah. Tell us about some of your, the people that you work with, like you said, you're in relationship with in the music world. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, going back uh, briefly, you know, to when I was sort of learning some of this craft of the jazz thing, um, Trevor that I mentioned, Trevor King, uh, was a huge influence, not only on my playing, but on me as a person. You know, I'd lost my father uh, in 86, um, sadly. And so Trevor and his family kind of came along at a very opportune time. I don't know if it's stars that actually align or somebody is actually watching over you, but something happened. Um, and so he was extremely important and still is to me to this day in a lot of ways, not only musically, just as a person and his family and what they did for me. Um, Miles, I mentioned, of course, I've known since I was like 12 or 13 or something, and he still lives in the UK, but he tours the US with Acoustic Alchemy. Other than the years where we're having a global pandemic, he's out here at least once a year. In fact, we were just down in New York about six weeks ago. We took a trip down to see him because I hadn't chatted to him in person since 2019 was the last time we saw him on the, on the West Coast. So we took a few days out and just hit New York and hung out and saw Miles and the guys, and that was great. Um, more recently, I think because of, of me putting out my own music on a recorded medium and getting the radio play I have and really starting to build my brand, you know, I've, I've been asked to collaborate with quite a few artists and the, there's a bit of a list now, which is very uh, comforting to know. But I mean, the current stuff, I've been working with uh, the guitarist Reza Khan. I was down in New York again in February to see him. I couldn't play, sadly. I've been asked to play the release of his new album, The Blue Note. And I, when he called me, I said, dude, I'd, I'd eat my own feet to go play The Blue Note. Of course, I'd love to do it. Sadly, as a non-US citizen, um, there's an awful lot of paperwork and some money and more importantly, a waiting time to get a visa, even for a single show. So I went as a tourist, as a paying guest at 1.3 Canadian to the US dollar, which cost me a pretty penny, I can tell you. Um, but it was great for us to actually meet in person, stayed with him, had some time at his place, and we, we talked about plans for the future. And so his next album's coming out. I'm on uh, two tracks of that, I'm very happy to say, incredibly happy to say that one of those tracks, I think it'll be the lead single, is me with Reza and a piano player that you may have heard of called Bob James. So that's going to be coming out. I'm like, I know, I still say that and I think, shut up. But it's true. So that's coming out. Um, and Reza, Reza's a, he's such a cool guy anyway, right? And plays like a dream. So it's been great to work with him. Um, Sylvia Bennett, uh, you probably know of. She's a, a wonderful vocalist from Miami. In fact, she and her husband are coming up here in a couple of weeks' time. They're going to spend some time in nice. in Canada, a place that they love. And so we'll welcome them with open arms for sure. She has a, a new album coming out. I believe it's slated for January, which scarily isn't that far away. Um, so I'm on, a, I'm on one track of that. It's a vocal track, obviously, of Sylvia's album. Um, but I get to play the bass line, which is cool. Um, and I also get to get a bass solo, which is cool. And then her producer, Hal Bat, who is a super famous dude from that part of the world as well, he and I end up doing this bass and guitar kind of swap floor thing, which is, it's great. So that's going to be coming out in January. Um, GTF, some friends of mine from the San Francisco area, they've done really well the last few years with their last album. Um, new album from them, I think, is also either late this year or Q1 of next year. Um, George. Here's another bass player thing to prove we're all friendly. George is the bass player. He also sings like an angel. But he said to me, hey, dude, how about you and I do a co-write? So I said, sure. I went down to my little studio in the basement and I knocked a track together and sent it in. And I heard some of the kind of rough cuts of where it's gone. And it sounds beautiful. So I'll be on a track of the new GTF album, which is a co-write. 
I wasn't playing on it, of course. And then Wayne Gutshaw, sax player, again from Florida, actually. Maybe I should go to Florida for a while. Um, he and I had some great success on a track that he released, I think, uh, his, his COVID brain. Last year, it may have even been 2021, I forget now. Um, but the track was going up. He had some great success with that. Came back and said, I've got another thing I want to work on with you. It's not going to feature bass as in a solo instrument, but I want your bass on it for sure, holding down the low end. And so I've done that, and he brought in the trumpet player, Rob Zinn. Um, so it's going to be Wayne and Rob up front. I'm not sure who else is playing on this one yet. I've yet to hear the final cut, but I know my bass is in there. So, yeah, there's a half dozen projects between now and sort of end of Q1 next year that'll be Fantastic, keeping man. things going. You know how to mingle, dude. You know how to mingle. I try, you know, like we throw pretty good parties here when COVID isn't a problem. So we, we enjoy having people over. It's good. Great. Uh, I got a question. What is what is it you want to do you haven't accomplished or you haven't got to yet? Big question. Musically or in life in general? The world's your oyster here. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Start there first. Well, I think musically, you know, I, I've sort of proved my point on the can I write, perform, produce an album. Yeah, I've done a couple yeah. of those now. Check the box. Um, I think the next step for me musically is probably now take what I've done and proved and really source out a couple of key collaborators, right? And I, I, don't, I don't even know who that's going to be yet. I honestly haven't thought it through. But... Um, I have got to meet some pretty influential people and some pretty amazing musicians the last few years. Um, and, you know, we, we had two trips down pre-COVID uh, to Carmel, California. And um, there was a, the Jazz Weekender, which was run two years in a row, and then sadly COVID came in. But the two years that we went, I got to meet uh, <laughs> bass player Nathan East. I know, right? Boom, again. And so he and I... He, very very generous guy with his time and i don't just mean you know where's the one i mean his actual time um and we had a 20 30 minute conversation one morning in the lobby of this beautiful hotel at quite a lodge it's just an incredible place um talking about basses and my album and because he was doing the the voiceover promo thing with smoothjazz.com for the album and i talk about pipes do listen to him speak <laughs> it's unbelievable there's a reason he plays bass right. um and kept in touch turns out our fathers were born the same year within about six weeks of six weeks of each other um a ton of similarities and of course we both play bass and we both like jazz and all that kind of stuff so so that went on so i think someone of that area level style probably will be on the horizon for me musically um i think big picture life stuff now that we're hopefully through a global pandemic and hopefully don't see a resumption yes. of something like that i think some travel you know we've we moved here from the uk almost 20 years ago and uh we've loved travel we're very accessible into the us from here right equally accessible back to home very thankfully every time we do that uh to beautiful canada and so i think you know having been born in the uk and seen some, some bits of europe there's, there's certainly a lot more to see i think there's some travel on the horizon and and we'll see how the next sort of three to five play out but music's Whatever I do in the sort of business world and the world of work, music is always there to your earlier question, and it's always computing in what remains up here. <laughs> right, right. So we're going to sort of end it with this sentence completion. I told you about it before. Basically, I'm going to start a sentence, and I want you to finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Ready? And three personality traits I possess are... 
Empathy, honesty, musicality. Fantastic. Like it. In my spare time, I like to... Play other people's basses. Nice. And the last one, as a child, my favorite game was... Figuring out how to make money. <laughs> Good thinking, especially when you're young, right? Right. His warm articulation of the bass connected to the passion in his melodies makes Brendan's sound essential in today's smooth contemporary music. Those words from Sandy Shore, CEO and founder of smoothjazz.com. My friend, thanks for being in the Jazz Spotlight today. Oh, you are most welcome. Thanks for having me on here. I, I know uh, so many people I'd love to give shout-outs to, but all I'll do is wait. We'll get this thing put together. We'll get it out there, and I'll share the link, share the love, and off we go. All the best to you, my friend. Keep smiling.